Welcome to the first ever Core Values Forum here at Goshen College. This forum will be Christ-centered, but it will not be a chapel worship service. Chapel will resume next Friday. My name is Rebecca Horst. I'm the Convocation Coordinator here, and it's my privilege to introduce today's forum, which was planned by our president, Jim Brenneman. Can I have? Okay, here we go. We're gathered here as students, staff, faculty, interested community members, united by our common ties to the mission and core values of Goshen College. And as you know, we're focusing primarily on just one core value each year, and this year that core value is Christ-centered. President Brenneman has initiated a Core Values Institute, which is explained on this website, which you can find off the Goshen College website attached to the President's office. The Core Values Institute is a series of events that invites the entire campus community, including board members, faculty, staff, students, alumni, interested community members, to engage with the core value that's in focus in this particular year. The most visible part of this Core Values Institute for you students will be the opening convocation each fall and a forum like this that we'll hold each semester. So this is the fall semester forum. There will be another one in spring semester. Today, President Brenneman will speak on what does it mean to be a Christ-centered college. He'll continue what he began in the opening convocation in September. And then two faculty members have been invited to respond. The first will be Joanne Brandt, professor of Bible, religion, and philosophy, movie buff, amateur artist, and New Testament scholar. And then she will be followed by Ryan Sensenig, who is assistant professor of environmental science, prairie researcher, and soon-to-be SST leader in Tanzania. But first, President Brenneman, so join me in welcoming him. Good morning, everyone. If happiness or the pursuit thereof is being with people you love in a place you love, then I think uh, I'm in one of the happiest places on Earth right now. Uh, with, my, uh, with Disneyland being a second close in this case. We are, as Becky reminded us, continuing a, a year-long conversation on what does it mean to be a Christ-centered college. I can assure you that however we answer the question, this particular question, it certainly means more than simply making, uh, uh, making sure that we have a visible image of Christ prominently displayed on our campus be that near, let's say, a football stadium, like Notre Dame's Touchdown Jesus, or perhaps on a prominent wall in a quad at the center of campus. Here you have a sort of blonde, blonde blue-eyed uh, uh, Germanic Jesus on, at the center of Biola University, which has created quite a controversy, Biola University being in in the center of a largely Hispanic and African-American uh, in Los Angeles uh, community. So this kind of jars your attention when you see it on their campus. Or perhaps we could even show Jesus showing up mysteriously in the cafeteria, like Jesus on a Pringle chip, <laughs> or on a, let's say on a tortilla. Or they're even now making Jesus-centered toast. So you want to buy one of those uh, toasters today. And for the rest of you who are interested in toast and Jesus, you might even want to find toast on Jesus. There are options for you there as well. 
Well, in the opening convocation this year, I suggested that for Goshen College to lay claim to being a Christ-centered college, first of all, nothing less than an open invitation to a conversation about Jesus Christ will be a necessary part of our mission. And secondly, for Goshen College to be considered a Christ-centered college, then each day, each year that passes, walls of separation by culture, race, gender, denomination, and class must be lowered to thresholds of reconciliation until we're truly one in the spirit of Christ. Well, today I'm going to suggest two additional criteria. Let's call them criteria three and four, by which Goshen College can be considered a Christ-centered college. In addition to an open conversation about Jesus Christ and lowering walls that separate us, we need a dynamic view of faith. Faith as a verb as much as faith as a noun. Christian faith then has to be more than simply verbal assent about what it means to be a Christian. Christian faith has to be more than rigid boundaries of belief, more than doctrinal or ideological purity. What matters most about Christian faith of all, than all these criteria is whether or not we are on a journey toward or away from the living person Jesus Christ at the center of reality. To help understand what I mean, let's consider the hardcore hypothesis that the living person, Jesus Christ, stands at the center of reality. Now, whether we address complex scientific theories or define certain belief systems, we almost always first identify a hardcore hypothesis, and here's sort of a scientific paradigm model of what I'm talking about. So whether it's like, say, the first law of thermodynamics you want there in the center, or Christ Jesus is the center of reality, whatever it might be, you have this hardcore hypothesis there in the middle, a truth claim, let's say. Then we build a paradigm of understanding from the center out using the AHs there, our auxiliary hypotheses, each with their own data points, so you're gathering your argument, which are meant to help substantiate whatever your core hypothesis is. That's kind of how the scientific method works. The strongest validating claims lie close to the center. The lesser claims toward the periphery, as you go out further, creating sort of this web of belief, this paradigm of belief, uh, uh, and in a sense, claiming to be a Christ-centered college then, or a Christian for that matter, requires just such a web of belief in which the core hypothesis or truth claim that the person, Jesus Christ, is at the center of reality, at least, that, at least our claim is in this case that Jesus Christ is at the center of the reality of who we are at Goshen College. That's our hardcore hypothesis that we're trying to argue for. Then auxiliary claims around and about that, such as our various interpretations about Christ, or maybe about the teachings of Christ, like the Sermon on the Mount, is that most important, or is Paul's letters about what he says about Christ, are those more important than the Sermon on the Mount, and depending on, you know, that's your auxiliary hypotheses. So it might be 
Those might be auxiliary. Or specific doctrines about who Jesus is based upon one of the four Gospels, which I talked about last time, which have different views of who Jesus was. Or maybe it's creedal statements about a particular tradition you have that says this is who Jesus is that have been developed over the years. Or perhaps it's a sequence of allegiances that are either closer to or further away that matter more to you or me or others and less so to others and so forth. These may lie closer or further from that center, depending on our viewpoint, sort of a concentric circle of belief. The relative position of the auxiliary claims, the relative position of those auxiliary claims vis-a-vis -vis the center of which we're talking about depends on negotiating a consensus among the claimants. Our negotiations with each other draw on rational inquiry, scripture, scientific experimentation, depending on what the center is we're talking about, personal experience, let's say the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives or any combination of these factors, and or pure inspiration in some scientific paradigms. Uh, uh, they've been explained by starting from that point. But in the Bible, what ultimately seems to matter mo most has less to do with all the negotiated auxiliary claims that I just described, as important as many of those are and were. Rather, what mattered most was, uh, was how one responded to Jesus when he simply said, come, follow me. Did one turn and follow Jesus or not was the question. I find it very telling that only after a year or two of the disciples following Jesus around 24-7, 365 days, only quite late in Jesus' ministry, did Jesus get around to asking what we would call the doctrinal question, the Christological question. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It was only then, long after he was baptized, that Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus said, come, follow me, he was simply using an old, old definition of salvation in Scripture in which repentance, the word in Hebrew is shub. It's a simple word that simply means turn around. Which direction are you headed to turn? And head in the right direction. In Christ-centered terms, it means to simply turn around and head in the direction of the living person, Jesus Christ. The direction of one's walk, and here you see a, the direction you're going matters more than how close or far from the center you are. In fact, people very near the hardcore center of the web of belief that is determined by the criteria of their understanding and all of the knowledge they possess and what they know about who Christ is and isn't, but if they're headed away from Christ, who is the center of, in their daily walk, this is where Jesus said, many will know me by name, but, but I'll say depart from me in that great universe in the sky someday by and by. People who are very near the center of web of belief in all their understanding, but headed away from the center in their daily walk, are they loving? Are they Christ-like? Are they reaching out? Are they laying down their lives for others and so on and so forth? If they're not doing that, they're in more perilous spiritual state than other people who may have no ability to read, write, or discern all the intricacies of the auxiliary 
auxiliary claims and are technically far away from the center who is Christ, but who are heading toward Christ from a God's eye point of view. Indeed, the threshold at the outer edges of a Christ-centered web of belief must be very low, increasing in commitment and intensity as one approaches the center. In our congregation back in Pasadena a couple years ago, we had two atheists from Caltech who were part of our congregation for two years before they decided to become baptized. Uh, So they were approaching the center over time. The walls must be lowest at the edges so as to easily step through a rather permeable threshold toward the center, which is, as we're saying, as we're arguing, our hypothesis is, which is the person, the living person, not a doctrine about the living person, but the living person resurrected Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a story that illustrates the concept. A number of years ago, when I was in pastoral ministry, Craig, a developmentally disabled adult male, man, after attending our church for several years, came and asked whether he could be baptized and become a member of our congregation. He couldn't read or write or understand the intricacies of Christian doctrine. Yet I knew, as did everyone in the congregation, that Craig was much or more, much more in some instances, of a Christian than many or most of us who had PhDs in the church who could distinguish between the pre- and post-lapsarian nature and exegete the fine points of Heil's Geschichte. Now, if you don't know what that means, you're not very close to the center of the, of the chart as I am determining it. I'm kidding. We welcomed him as a baptized member because he, we knew, we discerned as a community that Craig was walking toward Christ, not away from him. And in fact, in many instances, was more Christ-like than any of us. In my opinion, how we answer the question of including a person like Craig or including an honest seeker far removed from Christian culture by custom or tradition or ability may also indicate how will we answer the question of what it means to be a Christ-centered college. And I'm not equating the church with the college here. There are differences. I'm not saying that all the deep and complex questions of Christian faith, discipleship, and identity are not extremely important and need to be addressed using the finest intellectual tools available to us. I've devoted my life to that intellectual pursuit. No better place to do it than at a Christian liberal arts college such as Goshen College. That's one of our tasks. I'm simply saying that a Christ-centered college will be known as a place that invites all of its students on a journey toward Christ at multiple levels of understanding and commitment, even if they never choose to become a follower of Christ. At the very least, a Christ-centered college helps to provide a life-changing story based on the person of Christ and invites any and every student to orient his or her life accordingly and or those of us who work here as staff and faculty to orient our life accordingly. Jesus says to each and every one of us, Come, follow me. Simple. If the third criteria of a Christ-centered college is is to invite us to be followers of Christ at the center of reality, 
The fourth calls us to be Christ-centered thought leaders that help shape culture for the common good. Nicholas Wolterstorff, Professor Emeritus of Philosophical Theology at Yale Divinity School, he calls this, at least I'm applying what he calls a, a educating for shalom, I'm applying to this model. Our calling as a college at the outset of the 21st century can no longer be simply to live into our Goshen College motto, culture for service, as wonderful as that vocation still is after 116 years. We do need to continue to help our students and to be influenced ourselves to be culturally aware, to serve the church and the world, and to become ever better cultural critics. That's things we do well here. But we also must train you, students, train ourselves, be trained, and be ourselves, whether we're faculty or staff, to be culture makers and culture shapers. Are we, this is a real question I want us to wrestle with, are we saturated enough in culture? Yes, postmodern, urban, multi-ethnic, world-affirming culture to know how to wisely critique or deconstruct culture in the language of our culture when necessary. That's what we're training. We're, we're critical thinkers. Critical thinking, that's the easy part of our task, oftentimes. The temptation is sometimes to withdraw from the culture to the point where, where we're critiquing it from outside, and no one's going to be listening to us oftentimes, or perhaps they will, and or to enter enough to acculturate ourselves enough that we even know what we're talking about vis-a-vis -vis the, the, the problems of the world and culture around us. Even more importantly than critiquing, are we prepared and able to offer a viable, real-life, culturally significant response that helps shape culture for the better? That is the most difficult part of our task, to be constructive critics, not deconstructive uh, critics. Such a, voca a vocational calling is deeply embedded in the creation accounts and wisdom literature of Holy Scripture, too often ignored by salvation history buffs. In these texts and others, the community of faith is invited to translate the accounts of the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus into real cultural change over time. In the Roman Empire, it took several hundred years of of Christ, uh, for the Christian web of belief to have its effect uh, on the culture, sometimes negatively, many times positively. In fact, it even took 1,500 years if you're going to count the Reformation as part of shifting culture to think about new things. It's a constant sh cultural shaping, but it takes time through institutions and through other means. It's with such a long view that Andy Crouch asks of all of us who wish to serve in the world in his book called Cultural Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling, he asks us what does it mean to be not just culturally aware in order to serve, but culturally responsible, that is, in order to system, systemically alter the world for the better. Let's call this expanded approach culture for service leadership. When St. John wrote in his gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, among other things that he implied, he meant that God so loved the whole cosmos, that's the word there, and everything in it 
and everyone on it, in the case of the world. Such love should make a difference in how we view the world, how we understand and treat and care for this vulnerable planet we live on and the vulnerable people that we associate and love around us. A Christ-centered college will invite all who attend to love the cosmos as God loved the cosmos. And love, uh, such a love ought to make a difference in how we understand our role in it, no matter what profession we undertake or study. I offer just a couple of examples of culture-shaping thought leaders for your attention this morning. I purposely cho chose non-Goshen College persons who are educating for Shalom for the common good to avoid the uncomfortable position of naming some on campus and missing others. I truly believe, having said that, that our faculty strives to be just the kind of thought leaders that make the difference we are speaking about this morning. Outside Goshen College, other Anabaptist thinkers who are changing the way we think about science, psychology, politics, and culture, indeed life itself, are among these. Philosopher of science, Nancy Murphy, friend, who is shaping the conversation today all across the world in scientific communities and beyond about the moral nature of the universe. Has a double PhD in science and in theology. With her Christocentric interpretation of the cruciform character of nature itself. Now that's a mouthful, think about it, but she is applying her Christ-centered worldview to talk about the moral nature of the universe. Alvin Duick, who taught psychology at Goshen quite a few years ago, for a while, has just completed a book called A Peaceable Psychology, in which he's revamping the notion of psychological care and a communal orientation. I sat on the doctoral committee of former student of mine named David Goodman, a psychologist in Boston, who has reshaped the conversation about modern psychology's authentic self to what he called the demanded self, turning upside down an ego-based interpretation of the self, overturning Heidegger and many others. You can go there if you like. Doug Yoder, a Renaissance man now from Los Angeles, Pennsylvania farm boy turned world-class pianist and philosopher, has turned the tables on Greek-based origins of philosophy, raising questions about the Hebrew Bible and Jewish epistemology on Greek thought. Usually it's thought the other way around. He has turned it on its head and in a provocative way. Amazing person. Can build a house, play classical piano, and talk philosophy all at the same time. Howard Zare's view of restorative justice has literally reshaped mediation services in the secular world, in cities all over the world, and in our judicial system here in the state, states. Christiana, Christiana, uh, Christina Hernandez, who was here a few weeks ago, GC grad, young woman who today is in Afghanistan. She was a double music, I mean a double major in art and business. She's helping to develop business run by women artisans to sell their artwork on international markets in the heart of a warring country. Roger Beachy, the head of National Institute of Food and Agriculture, a Goshen College grad, recently here and said to me as we sat at the table that he wants his tenure and the decisions that he makes in his role in the U.S. government as laser-focused on stopping world hunger for the masses. 
Amazing that he's placed there at this time to do those kind of work. And one could go on. These are but a few of the thought leaders who are helping shape culture, not simply bemoan or critique it. These are Christ-centered, culture-for-service leaders in our world. And now I'm about done. Christ, who was in the very nature God, gave up his divine prerogatives, his heavenly identity markers, his power, prestige, and glory to nearly fully acculturate into our world as one of us. Let me say that again. To nearly acculturate fully, almost completely, into our world as one of us. And yet he would offer the world a new way of living and in so doing shape culture for the better. To be a Christ-centered college then simply is to invite each other to a conversation about Jesus Christ, to lower the walls of, between us so that they are merely thresholds that we can step over, to move toward Christ at the center of reality more than away from Christ, and to be Christ-centered thought leaders that actually shape the culture for the common good, not just for our own. We encourage deeply held core convictions, not simply to better articulate our identity or tell others how different we are from them, but to challenge each of us to live and work and serve in the world for the world as Christ did. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. In order to respond to President Brenneman's proposal of four principles by which we can become Christ-centered, I began by asking if what he proposes resonates with how I've articulated what it means to dwell within the reality to which I hear Jesus calling me and us to live. I hope that each of you takes the time to do the same thing. And I trust that these four principles will circulate in various forms and maybe bullet. Um, oh, we don't call it that. We don't, whatever. Okay, whatever we call it. Okay. <clears throat> I summarize what it means to be Christ centered for me with three principles renouncing my claims to such things as privilege and, re and entitlement, participating in the ministry of reconciliation by practicing forgiveness and seeking forgiveness, and including those people within the abundant life that Christ offers who are excluded from the common good for one reason or another. President Brenneman's principles dovetail with my understanding when he talks about having an open conversation in which we avoid claims to having the only legitimate handle on who Jesus is. When he talks about lowering the walls of separation to allow for reconciliation, and when he talks about becoming thought leaders that shape culture for the common good. The principle that I cannot line up easily with my own summary and therefore need to explore is the first one with which he began today, making sure that we are on a journey toward, not away from the living person, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't disagree with the principle. I certainly agree that I need to put this question to all my actions and reactions constantly and consistently. 
What I need to figure out is how to ask the question in various ways to fit each and every circumstance in which I find myself. For example, several weeks ago in my congregation, the children's choirs performed pieces that they had been rehearsing for a month. The boys went first. The boys' choir includes a number of very strong voices, and they sang well, and the congregation responded warmly. Then the girls' choir got up to sing, and one voice rose above the others off key. <laughs> the voice belonged to a young girl with Down syndrome. I immediately became anxious because I could see the congregation in their body language struggling to adjust to the new sound. But my thoughts were quickly replaced by my sense of how God was there and receiving this offering of music with joy. And then I turned and I saw each member of the congregation's body relax and warm smiles came on their faces as each came to some similar realization and began to share in God's joy. We each found Christ by not straying into the alley of music criticism. President Brenneman has talked about clinging to the religious doctrines and language that we use to understand who Jesus is at the risk of missing the call to come to Jesus. I hope in this open dialogue into which we are invited, we recognize that there are many kinds of doctrines that we can mistake for the steep and winding path that leads to Christ. Doctrines about excellence, doctrines of nationalism, economic doctrines, and doctrines of social institutions. There are many things besides religious doctrine that we may have dragged to the center of our convictions and confused with being Christ-centered. These doctrines can threaten to undermine living by the principles of renunciation, reconciliation, and inclusion. For example, if we examine the social institution of friendship that is so important to us, we may find that many of the technologies that we are now embracing may undermine being Christ-centered by restricting our travel companions on our journey to a small homogeneous circle. We can easily build closed communities bounded by the firewalls of an on online social network and the limited circle of people with whom we share our cell phone numbers. I imagine that if Jesus came and did not have omniscience and tried to get a hold of us these days, he would be in great difficulty. There is a cultural drift toward treating our circles of friends as sufficient to meet our spiritual needs. But these social circles, as well as family and Goshen College itself, can be Christ-centered only if they dwell within a larger reality that includes the young and the old, people gifted with intellectual and leadership skills, and people who cannot pass the entrance exams to Goshen College and people shaped by different experiences with different stories to tell. I believe that if we are Christ-centered, if we are a Christ-centered college, each of us will also participate in a worshiping community in which, with, within which the membership is open to the broad array of God's people.
the whole world. In the words of Jesus, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? That is the way of the world. Be complete, as in not omitting any group, as our Heavenly Father is complete. Can I share your water? <laughs> Sharing the cup. Um, I want to personally thank President Brenneman for his leadership uh, in helping us engage in a conversation about identity, who we are at GC, how we can be inviting, how we can be relevant to our world. Uh, for me, I think this is representative of one of the reasons I love teaching at Goshen. At GC, we have conversations. We have sincere conversations, very sincere conversations. <laughs> you may know some of those persons who uh, you engage with about life at that level. I'd like to affirm the following three points, uh, which for me resonate with President's, uh, President Brenneman's comments. I value the core values. How's that for succinct? They're non-formulaic. They're non-formulaic in their attempt at guiding us and addressing this ever-important question, to what end? Why do we do this thing called liberal arts education? And I'd like to elaborate on that in the second point. What is education for? I think education is a lengthy and a detailed and a lifelong conversation about what it means to be human and about where our responsibilities should lie. Education is therefore group work. It's a community endeavor where diverse disciplinary perspectives are fused together for the purpose of wrestling with deeply relevant and concrete questions. And I think President Brenneman articulated this well in his call for us to be shapers of culture. The third point, the first convo's emphasis on inclusivity, on extending an open and welcoming invitation, I think that is key. Lowering walls of separation to thresholds of reconciliation is an apt metaphor. I think it correctly names and even acknowledges, perhaps even confesses, the ways in which our views of Christ have been too tightly bound in culture. He, President uh, Brenneman appropriately asks, what keeps us from sinfully appropriating Jesus in the service of our cultural values? These three points uh, strike me as useful recommendations for what I'm going to call being. How is it that we should treat one another? I think they are models for Christ-centeredness at the interpersonal scale. And those of you who have had ecology, you know I'm preoccupied with this notion of scale. So now I'm going to uh, end my comments with, with asking whether these three points are appropriate at all scales. But first, I want to take you back to two years ago when Professor of PJCS Joe Lichty presented a concept that I think is very helpful in articulating this welcoming nature at the interpersonal scale. He gave a convo talk entitled, Being the Odd One Out But Completely at Home. He commented that we are each part of the GC family once we agree to join the community, and therefore we're all equally hosts. The Mennonite Church is not the host. We are each part of an adopted family, and therefore each of us hosts and each of us is responsible to be mutually welcome to each, welcoming to each other. In his words, as different as you want to be, different as you need to be, 
and always at home. We need to be different and we need to be at home. With all of that, I concur completely. Uh, and I think those, those formulations apply mostly at the interpersonal scale. What is less clear to me is how to answer these questions. What does a Christ-centered institution, like a college, what does that look like? What does lowering the walls to thresholds imply about the way an institution relates to the bro broader society, to the public? At this other scale, one above the one that you and I are a part of today. In fact, at this scale, how does an institution know which direction it is to step towards Christ? So for me, these questions seem to suggest a shift from being language to doing language. And I think in doing, we contextualize a Christ-centeredness. In fact, I, don't, I think we have to. We work together toward new visions, restorative opportunities, fostering the hope that we want to see in our world, and in ways uh, uh, Dr. Brenneman talked about this in, in shaping culture. I am wondering, however, at the institutional level, whether the world desperately needs to see our particularities of Christ-centeredness. I am personally drawn to a Goshen College that says, for us, Christ-centeredness is working to alleviate poverty, teaching Arabic to enhance communication with the Islamic world, honoring God above nation, modeling sustainable and life-giving eating practices, working for peace in all its forms, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's compelling and inviting that we seek to make peace with the economy, making peace with research, making peace with music, making peace with art. You've seen all the little um, badges and patches we have. At GC, academia is rooted in both analyzing and affecting the unfolding human story. So I acknowledge that these particularities are a version and they're one version of Christ-centeredness and perhaps to some they appear as walls, to others they will prove uh, transformational. Is it not these particularities that invite conversation at this more national and community scale? In fact, is it not these particularities that invite more genuine conversation, the kind that brings true growth? Our particularities of Christ-centeredness, when combined with the reflections in other communities, can emerge into a more whole view of God. Just as we need to be as different as we need to be as individuals in our Goshen family, so too, perhaps, as a college, we need to be as different as we need to be in our global family. Can the particularities of our Christ-centeredness with the right humility empower a conversation that will both help us grow and potentially shape our culture? Surely, some of our particularities will be serving cultural heritage and not faith. And perhaps the irony, though, is we'll never know the difference unless with a tentative and a bold step, if you can do both of those things together, we, we take a step and then we listen and converse with the broader church and community to see if, in fact, it is towards Christ. Can we work toward a Christ-centered Goshen College that is transparent and committed to particularities, the doing, while at the same time welcoming everyone to the conversation, the being? And I think that's something worth striving for. We have just a couple more minutes. Would you mind coming up? I, just in case you want to respond to my response. <laughs> 
First of all, let me thank you uh, both very much for uh, your response to what I had to say. Uh, I heard, Joanne, uh, you reminding us that uh, when we asked the question, who's your neighbor, as it were, it, and, and we think of ourselves connected via, let's say, internet and texting and all those things, it actually might be those who we're not connected to by all those means that is our true neighbor and uh, would represent um, that for us. I also heard you say and remind us that there are many doctrines outside of the church that is potentially in the political world, in the world, of, uh, the world at large, in, in all our various settings that also place let's say, or, or, or put requirements on how we should understand things and that they too need to be challenged uh, from, uh, if for no other reason, from, uh, as I would see it, from potentially from God's point of view looking down, um, insofar as we concern that. That related to a bit of uh, what I was hearing you say, Ryan. Um, particularly, I was fascinated by the again, on the connection issue, the interpersonal connection. I think both of you talked about connection between individuals and then scaled it up. And you talked about more in doctrinal terms, world doctrines perhaps, or secular doctrines or things. That would be that larger scaled uh, question. Um, and the tension that we all experience between uh, our particularities vis-a-vis -vis how we relate to each other as individuals and or as an institution to a broader context, let's say, the world. And at what point, how do we balance those? Maybe it's not a balance, but how do we potentially maintain those important particularities without being, doing it in such a way that exclude, that is exclusive vis-a-vis uh, -vis a conversation at least. And that is the challenge we have. We're having it on campus about various forms of allegiance. <laughs> and that has to do with that debate that I described when you have a center and you have auxiliary hypotheses and uh, it requires a debate between all of us or a conversation between all of us to negotiate uh, those, those auxiliary hypotheses, uh, particularly when it comes to, excuse me, institutional levels. Um, and that's what we're we need to continue to do, the conversation needs to continue in that regard uh, if we're to be prophetic and also potentially influential in the world around us. I don't know if I captured what you were saying or if you want to respond and then we won't hold you captive much longer, but. <laughs> well, I, I would just like to highlight that um, perhaps one way that, Jim, what you're referring to can be fleshed out is, is I read the blog uh, exchange between yourself and Shane Claiborne, and I thought that was a wonderful uh, model of how a particularity, a particular discussion surfaced uh, such that that being together and seeking Christ together, that possibility arose by the particularity being emphasized. And so at some level, what I mean to say is that if the thresholds are too low without an emphasis of particularity, will we ever have that rich, deep conversation that, that I so much appreciated reading?
Okay, well, uh, thank you with regard to uh, your response. Any other comment you want to make in general? Or what we do need to do is continue this conversation beyond our time here together. Uh, and I, I long for that conversation to continue and, and we'll have the rest of the year we'll be talking about what it means to be Christ-centered in our lives and um, look forward to that conversation in classes and elsewhere as well. Thank you for joining us this morning.